The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. How did you get this interview? He called me. What a coup. Vincent Winninger? The mad scientist? He's not mad, he's eccentric. You're going to interview Vincent Winninger? Yes. <laughs> well, that explains the vain attempt to look sexy. Lois, be careful. Vincent Winninger is a notorious... Wolf. Womanizer. Maybe I should go with you. Maybe you shouldn't. Wait a minute. Are you planning to exploit your femininity to... to get the story of one of the strangest and most reclusive scientists of our time? You bet. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, April 12, 2018. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Three major topics of discussion for you today. We'll be rounding off our show with yet another update and perspective on the trials of Bill Cosby. And we'll also be taking a look at a new concept I just read about in the news. Something that's called... Indigenous knowledge. But we'll be kicking off the show on a theme that you certainly would have heard of before. The so-called Me Too movement. But you might not be aware of how its propaganda in the pursuit of affirmative consent is being packaged through the media. Well, let's take a look. Right after this reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and on SoundCloud, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our archive broadcasts. I want to share the following commentary with you, but I have to tell you there's hardly a sentence I can read without objecting to it, so I will do so where appropriate. Hashtag problematic reads the headline. Subheading TV show that addresses sexual consent, a rarity, written by Rachel Razka, February 27, 2018, in the National Post. And she writes, Mainstream TV has a consent problem. And it's more than just hashtag problematic. Crime shows blur the humanity of sexual assault victims. Romantic comedies translate gaslighting and stalking as acts of love. Often when consent is blatantly woven into the narrative, its nuances are lost. Well, (laughs) crime shows blur the humanity of sexual assault victims. Well, that's because the humanity of sexual assault victims is not what the crime story is about. Crime shows are usually about catching the bad guys. You know, romantic comedies. I mean, that's why they're comedies. Because we're laughing at them when people translate gaslighting and stalking as acts of love. We we know that that's wrong, and that's why it's funny to see it in a comedy. And then this idea of nuances of consent. You know, this reminds me of Isabel Patterson's green isosceles triangle. (laughs) Quote, the words go together, but they make no sense. The article continues. Frequently neglected, 
The checking in factor, things like, are you okay? Does this feel good? What does it mean if we do this? End quote. <laughs> so these silly verbal quips are the nuances of consent, I guess. And she continues, Consent is not to be taken for granted by any partner, no matter the depth of their relationship, but many times in pop culture it is. You know, that's because even in real life, consent is taken for granted until that condition changes for some reason, and why should it be otherwise? She continues that the dire consequences of turning someone into a supernatural or monstrous being serves as a natural catalyst for these conversations. Probably the most sexualized of the monster world, a vampire with a conscience, is relatively a new development. David Baker teaches film studies at Griffith University in Brisbane and is author of Hospitality, Rape and Consent in Vampire Popular Culture. He suspects the pop culture emergence of, quote, attractive, sympathetic, sexy, and misunderstood vampires who have serious problems with impulse control, end quote, may be a response to the popularity among female fans. The shows need to negotiate the relationship with the woman because they want to maintain a certain strength on her part, he adds. Men's relationships with women have changed and forms of consent become more important. Well, to this I have to add, there are no differing forms of consent being described here. The only differing forms they're describing are differing forms of monsters. Widely, the article continues, the conscientious monsters, creatures, and spirits of contemporary fantasy and horror TV figure out how to navigate healthy sexual relationships with their mortal romantic counterparts. It may be because it's about a power dynamic. What they're negotiating is, I can do something that might hurt you, so we should talk about that. But in reality, that's true for all of us. All of us have the ability to hurt our sex partners, some ways more obvious than others says Jocelyn Friedman, author of Unscrewed, Women, Sex, Power, and How to Stop Letting the System Screw Us All. Boy, talk about a victim culture title for a book. Sounds like something right out of the 60s hippies movement, practically. But to speak to the power dynamic between mortals and TV supernatural counterparts, you know, in the TV series Lois and Clark, from which today's opener was taken, not a monster, but Superman, a.k.a. Clark Kent's motivation regarding the power imbalance between him and Lois Lane was never about worrying that he might hurt Lois Lane. Clark Kent wanted to win her love, which cannot be forced and can only be freely given, and he doesn't want her to love Superman. He wants her to love Clark Kent. And that was the central motivation and running storyline behind that entire series. That's what made it fun to watch. One of my favorite Superman series. But the article continues. Why have monsters been able to become more progressive than the rest of us? <laughs> I can't resist. Is it because they move left? <laughs> we can talk about consent when it's a zombie and laugh, Friedman continues. But to say each of us has a responsibility to our partner's happiness, it contains a nugget of truth that if we don't pay attention to our partner, we can hurt them, end quote. Well, I don't know about that. One partner might feel hurt emotionally, but not paying attention to someone is not an act of violence. There's no consequence to an action that does not take place. So if I'm not doing anything and somebody feels bad about it, am I responsible? That is the implication of this. Regardless of age, the article continues, most people don't have good examples of what affirmative consent 
or good sexual communication should look like. Well, there's the first explicit mention of the anti-concept, affirmative consent. But you know, my understanding is that zombies have no free will. Therefore, wouldn't they be unable to consent? Saying that something feels good or that you're okay is not the same as saying no. Not tonight, dear. I have a headache, you know. It's this idea that you need a signed permission slip. Can I touch your left breast? Yes or no. If we had a robust tapestry of couples talking about sex in infinitely different ways, it would all seem more natural, end quote. And that story originated from the Washington Post. Well, to my way of thinking, (laughs) there's nothing natural about any of that. I can't think of anything more unnatural and uncomfortable than the whole concept of affirmative consent. Talk about spoiling any sense of romance, spontaneity, or sexuality. The number one sexual fantasy, believe it or not, we've talked about it before, by women, is the bondage fantasy. Now, can you imagine having to go through all of the, quote, nuances of consent while trying to get sexually turned on in some kind of fantasy that you're involved in? Now, when I was looking at some of the criteria for affirmative consent, it occurred to me that perhaps affirmative consent provides a basic set of rules for the two-minute relationship or maybe for a simple act of prostitution. You know, can I touch your breast? Can I kiss you on the lips? But an ongoing and loving and caring relationship? Give me a break. That's not where it belongs. That consent is a, is a condition that would have been developed long before one's first meetings. I can't help but believe that a more than significant number of women in this regard would consider the rules of affirmative consent to be a complete turnoff, something that destroys the very imbalance of power they're looking for in a particular sexual encounter. Yeah, you heard that right. An imbalance of power. I wish I were the most sensitive man in the world. Right. Okay. Why? wish I were the most emotionally sensitive man in the world. Damn, I was hoping you wouldn't catch that. I could have had a lot of fun with that one. And I want her to love me. You know what? I have a great feeling about this. You do? Yeah, but what do I know? I'm back, my love. Where'd you run off to, huh? I went to make a garland of beech plums to place atop your glorious head like a crown. But then I caught sight of that sunset, and I don't know, something stirred inside me, and I had to stop and weep. Mmm, it's beautiful. It is. (coughs) Here I go again. Tissue? No. I never wipe my tears away. I'm not ashamed of them. I wear them proudly. Like small, wet, salty badges of emotional truth. Elliot, Mm. um, there's something that I think that we should talk about. Um, We've been together for, what, about three weeks now? Three magical weeks. (laughs) Three magical weeks. And I don't think that I've ever met a man who's been more in touch with his feelings. I love you so very much. I love you too. (laughs) Have I done or said anything to make you feel less good about you? No, 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 I'm fine. Would you like something to eat? I made a salad niçoise with dolphin-safe tuna. Oh, 
Wow. <laughs> what is it? It's that sunset again. And I worry about the dolphins. Excuse me, fellas, might I ask you to take the horseplay down to another part of the beach? Uh, no? Okay, guys, um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to respect the moment that my woman friend and I are sharing because it's a special celebration of love and caring and a unique spiritual and emotional understanding. You want to get a beer? Sure. Allison, um, excuse me, but I thought that this was our time together. It's just a beer. I'll be back in two seconds. Actually, my place is like 40 minutes from here. That's fine. Which way's your car? It's a van. Great. Allison, I, I, I respect your uniqueness and your individuality. Uh -huh. yeah. And you're your own person. Mm -hmm. And if you want to go with our new friends here to get a drink, I won't stand in your way. Hey, thanks, Al. I didn't need to understand. No, wait! Don't go, don't go. Why can't Al this kind of rejection? Why don't you want to stay here with me? You want to know why, Elliot? Because you're just too sensitive. I'm about to go out of my mind here. It's been wonderful, and God knows I love you, but enough is enough. I... I just want to be with a man who'll ignore me and take me for granted and who's only pretending to be interested in who I am and what I think so he can get into my pants. That would be me. Oh, thank you. Let's get out of here. Well, so much for the sensitive male, eh? <laughs> in discussing the principle of consent, we have to define what consent is and why this effort is being made to redefine it by the feminists and so many other uh, lobby groups. You know, the whole hashtag Me Too movement. The whole impetus of this movement is to push and to invent this term called affirmative consent. Now, it's funny, you know, 30 years ago, yeah, 30 years ago, back in January, February 1988, the first article I wrote for a magazine by the same name the, called Consent was called The Issue is Consent. And I asked the question, what is consent? This is such an important definition. It, it's crucial to everything that we must know in a free society. Consent is the underlying social concept behind a single principle that can be relied on to both protect individual freedom and to limit the individual's actions within society. And that's the principle of individual rights. Remember, we talked about freedom last week and talked about freedom being a limit, not a license to do whatever you want to do. Freedom, properly defined, is a limit. And that's the way the right defines it. Freedom from responsibility to do whatever you want to do, that's the left wing's idea of what freedom is. Now, most dictionaries define consent in one of two basic ways. Uh, one, to be of one mind, to agree, to concord. Or two, voluntary allowance or acceptance of something done or proposed. Permission, approval. It soon becomes apparent that there's more involved to consent than just what first meets the eye. Now, this is important. You know, consent does not necessarily imply agreement. 
In a free society, we consent to many things that we may not agree with or even necessarily like. People who accept circumstances that might be unpleasant or uncomfortable in their personal relationships can be said to be consenting to their circumstances by refusing to act or change those circumstances. Indeed, it's remarkable how important the concept of consent is when it comes to sex. We certainly have acknowledged that, and that's, that's the big issue here. After all, the determination of its presence or absence may well be the deciding factor in finding someone guilty of rape, assault, forced confinement, or any other such crime. It is clear that in such cases, the absence of consent involves the initiation of the use of force. In politics, consent has been turned into something else. The principle of consent has been abandoned in favor of something that sounds like consent. Regrettably, consensus, not consent, has become the predominant political philosophy in play today. Simple examples. Because tenants happen to outnumber landlords, we have rent controls, despite the fact that rent controls completely violate the direct consensual relationship between landlords and tenants. Because a majority of employees may vote to ratify a union to represent all employees in their place of employment, the minority can be legally forced to pay dues to an association they have not consented to support or may not even agree with. So as you can see, public consensus is not a principle or ideology. By dealing with the rights of individuals on the basis of consensus, individuals are turned into numbers with the greater number on any given issue being called a majority and given the legal right to impose its decisions on a minority without that minority's consent. Now here's something I, I can't believe that I wrote 30 years ago. Listen to this. Using the principle of consensus, the legal principle of justice begins to erode to the point where justice no longer depends upon objective evidence or on individual rights, but upon the opinion of some given majority. So welcome to the world of hashtag me too and to the world of social media and social mediocrity. There you go. That's why more than ever before it's become necessary to refocus our attention back on the only social concept consistent with living in a free society, the principle of consent. And of course the anatomy of consent is voluntarism. So when people consent, even to disagree, Force becomes an unnecessary and non-existent element in human relationships. Because if they disagree, they can go their own separate ways. They don't all have to be forced to do the same thing, to buy the same health insurance, to pay the same power companies. There should be some choices in there. But more than a principle, consent is also a condition. You know, consent's a condition. It's not a term or a clause that one can agree to or not agree to within the context of some real or imagined contract. However, that's not to say that a contract, written or oral, is an invalid piece of evidence when determining whether consent exists or not. Now, affirmative consent, this idea that you have to ask your partner every step of the way whether you can touch this, do this, do that, I mean, that's not consent. Otherwise, the adjective would not be necessary. You know, it's just like social justice. You take, put that social in front of justice, you don't have justice anymore. Affirmative consent is an anti-concept, purposely designed to obliterate the meaning of consent, that it is anti-to. The rules for affirmative consent 
you know, if you think about it, it sounds like they're put together for couples who just met five minutes ago and plan to have sex. Clearly, if they have to ask questions like, can I touch your breast? They obviously don't know each other. Worse, it's, it's never even affirmative consent when it's in practice. Listen to the way they, they push it. It's a perpetual reaffirmative consent cycle, clearly designed to break down relationships. And of course, affirmative consent is in practice a one-way street in a heterosexual relationship because it's always the male who's expected to comply while the female can have her cake and eat it too. Is this? Yes, Barbara Trevino. She's come a long way. From radical hippie to... The chairperson of the Rainforest Consortium. Well, not until Tuesday. And we're going to change all that. We? Yes, you and me. That's why you're here, Miss Lane. Did you know that I spent several years living with an Amazonian tribe? The life and times of Vincent Winninger. In this play, Barbara Trevino has a leading role. She's the femme fatale. Oh. You're a very good-looking woman. Oh, thank you. How do you feel about increased male potency? What? Dr. Winninger, I know that your reputation with women is only exceeded by your scientific one, but I think we should keep this meeting purely professional. Precisely. What am I missing here? Barbara Trevino is going to sell all of us and the ozone layer straight down the river and destroy our chances for increased male potency. I guess the 60s were pretty good to you. Oh, incidentally, if you harbor any sad hope of being rescued, let me inform you your superiors have received a message from you stating that you are safe and on your way home. By the time they find out that is not the case, it won't really matter. And how did they get a message from me? Well, this... this marvelous, marvelous young girl. Clemency, I believe she calls herself, or something equally as bizarre. Oh, the, uh, the clairvoyant. Clairvoyant? <laughs> yes, yes. Isn't it delightful? It's so delightful. I wish I'd invented it myself. I don't say that very often about today's pretentious gadgetry. Invented what? A cortical stimulator. You see, what we call knowledge is merely the alteration of certain cells in the cortex of the brain. These cells are changed by electrical impulse through the neurological system. You know that, of course. Of course. You do? Yes. Oh. You'll appreciate this. The cortical stimulator can cause these alterations directly through his skull. It can literally implant knowledge, or what we call thoughts, instantaneously. See, all we have to do is program our computers to the desired thought patterns and microwave them directly to the subject. The marvelous thing about it is Miss McGill doesn't even suspect a thing. <laughs> Isn't that marvelous? 
It's difficult for me to contain my admiration. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who've made it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. To join us on our journey, be sure to check out patreon.com slash justrightmedia or visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample our archive broadcasts featuring an array of timeless discussions of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. Now, the mad scientist in that Man from Uncle scenario we just heard was played by the late, great Martin Landau, who was dressed up just like Dracula, believe it or not. Talk about being disappointed when he learns that Ilya Kuryakin also has knowledge of the same process. Because to the extent that knowledge is power, you'd really want to keep it to yourself, wouldn't you? But what we call knowledge is not simply the form in which that knowledge is stored or or communicated, contrary to what mad scientists there said. I mean, the bits and bytes on a computer that may be storing particular knowledge is not the knowledge itself, nor are the letters, commas, periods, and sentences within a written or printed record of knowledge. The fact of the existence of bits and bytes and all of the other components by which we store knowledge, including those in our brains, is mere process. It's not knowledge itself. This one from the National Post, March 28, 2018, by Graham Hamilton. Science as priority dubbed offensive. Quebec apologizes debate over indigenous knowledge, believe it or not. This is out of Montreal, and I quote, The letter sent last month from a Quebec environment official to one of his federal counterparts does not seem that inflammatory. The Quebec official notes that proposed federal legislation requiring that traditional indigenous knowledge be taken into account when assessing environmental impacts permits a very broad definition of such knowledge. And he adds the bill should be clearer about how traditional knowledge is to be weighed against scientific data when deciding whether a project should proceed. But when the letter recently became public, it provoked an outraged reaction from Quebec Indigenous leaders, an apology from two Quebec cabinet ministers, and this week, an accusation of racism from a University of Ottawa law professor. In a letter published Monday in Le Devoir, Thomas Borelli and seven of his colleagues at the university said it was, quote, offensive of Quebec to attempt to favor science in a hierarchy of knowledges, end quote. Borelli said in an interview Tuesday that the February 6th letter from Quebec Deputy Minister Patrick Beauchene reflects a racism of intelligence. It is saying we think there is a form of intelligence that is superior, that of science. They are methods developed by the West, so they must take precedence over indigenous knowledge, end quote. Well, to begin with, obviously science is not a form of intelligence, The two things are not even related. But the comment about the West says it all. This is clearly an attack on Western values, which includes objectivity, reality, and reason, the things that created those Western values. You know, quote-unquote forms of intelligence objected to by the officials speaking for the indigenous culture, which apparently operates on some racially determined, quote-unquote, knowledge. Quote, Quebec Environment Minister Isabel Malasson and Native Affairs Minister Jeffrey Kelly wrote to apologize to Ghislaine Picard, Quebec 
regional chief of the Assembly of First Nations. They said they were aware and sorry that Duchenne's letter had raised, as written, many questions among the Aboriginal population. Oh, boy, it sure does. Questions that should be answered and addressed, but they're doing everything they can to avoid that. The minister stressed that Quebec recognizes Aboriginal traditional knowledge, quote-unquote, and invited Picard to meet to discuss collaboration on, quote, new ways of doing things. Catherine McKenna declared her intention to push ahead with the legislative changes. We will make it mandatory to consider Indigenous traditional knowledge alongside science and other evidence, she said. What does that really mean? Because what else are they talking about? Why do they never mention what this knowledge is? Quote, Bill C-69, which received first reading in the House of Commons on February 8th, would require that before a project subject to a federal assessment is approved, traditional knowledge of the Indigenous people of Canada provided with respect to the project be taken into account, though it provides no definition of traditional knowledge, end quote. The bill further states that when traditional knowledge is provided in confidence, it is confidential and must not knowingly be or permitted to be disclosed without written consent. <laughs> you know, I've never heard of anything more ridiculous than this. Traditional knowledge provided to whom, by whom. And if the knowledge has to be kept so confidential and secret, then how can we treat it on par with science and evidence? Are they supposed to be secret too? Like, this is... What is going on here? <laughs> Beauchene wrote that Ottawa's intention to systematically place Indigenous knowledge on equal footing with scientific data could prove problematic in cases where Indigenous knowledge and science are found to be in contradiction. Gee, do you think? <laughs> he said criteria should establish, be established to evaluate the accuracy of the traditional knowledge. Well, of course, this is exactly what is not wanted by the so-called Indigenous community. Time for a rights-based approach to Indigenous affairs. That's the headline in the Canadian press story on February 15th by Joanna Smith. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is planning to overhaul the way the federal government relates to Indigenous peoples in Canada, including a new legislative framework designed to pave the way towards stronger rights and greater control over their own destiny. We need to both recognize and implement Indigenous rights, Trudeau said February 14th in a speech in the House of Commons. The Prime Minister said the new approach may be developed in partnership with First Nations, Métis and Inuit and need to tackle the many challenges facing their communities, including overcrowded housing, unsafe drinking water and high rates of suicide among Indigenous youth. All of these demand real positive action, action that must include the full recognition and implementation of Indigenous rights, he said. We need to get into a place where Indigenous people in Canada are in control of their own destiny, making their own decisions about the future, end quote. Well, it would be nice if non-Indigenous peoples were allowed such control over their own lives by this government, but that's not an option under collectivism. The direction is leftward, well away from any individualism or individual control of one's own life. But Trudeau is not even talking about individuals. He's talking about a collective, a collective that is based not on individual rights, the only kind of rights accommodated by reality or reason, but on indigenous rights under which only a group can control, quote-unquote, its own destiny, which in practice means the handful of people who are running the whole statist agenda against the rights of the individuals. 
and, and you know, there's no such thing as quote unquote indigenous rights, which is racially based and therefore racist, any more than there's any such thing as German rights or French rights or Canadian rights in the sense of being able to control one's own destiny. These are meaningless terms. If that were the real goal of any of our governments, including those of the various Aboriginal peoples involved, then the first step would have to be the act of privatizing all of the nations of the so-called reserve systems, placing that ownership directly in the hands of the indigenous individual people who have a just claim to their homes and whatever other property they may possess under a collective, if that's even possible. And then let them decide what they want to do with their property. Property rights are the enabling rights of life and liberty, and without them, all the rest is just cheap talk and BS. I never heard any talk about life, liberty, or property with regard to anyone's rights in this country, and although the word freedom is often used, it's never practiced. The overcrowded housing and high rates of suicide on native reserves is a direct consequence of having indigenous rights, rights that put those on whom they're imposed in a position of helplessness. Look what happens whenever the collective runs something. Our hospitals, overcrowded and always suffering from funding shortages. Look at the increasing blight of public drug abuse, joblessness, homelessness, and despair for an increasing number of people, all while some other people are profiting from this arrangement, particularly those who operate under various government protections from competition, or who are paid by governments to make things even worse for the more and more individuals who must be sacrificed to their collective notions of fantasies that are really turning into nightmares. Our schools are a dumbed-down collective of anti-knowledge as more and more collectivist thinking invades the philosophies of our teaching disciplines. This is particularly true in the humanities and less so in the field of science, which explains a lot of you know, certain irrational attitudes towards science. In fact, when it comes to knowledge, anything collectivist is clearly anti-knowledge, right down to the root, since knowledge can only be possessed by individuals and verified by its application to reality and reason. Collectives and votings are not and never have been part of this process. Acquiring knowledge is not a group activity, even when taking place within a group setting. Now here's a basic definition of what knowledge actually is. Knowledge, as I find in the Ayn Rand's lexicon, is a mental grasp of facts of reality, reached either by perceptual observation or by a process of reason based on perceptual observation. And reason, in turn, is the faculty that identifies and integrates the material provided by man's senses. And how does man do this? By means of forming abstractions or conceptions. That's what raises man's knowledge up from the perceptual level, which he shares with the animals, to the conceptual level, which is a human attribute alone. And truth is the recognition of reality. Reason, man's only means of knowledge, is his only standard of truth. And again, as we've said before, the truth or falsehood of all man's conclusions, inferences, thought, and knowledge rests on the truth or falsehood of his definitions. So you can see why all the fuss and fighting over the definitions. Knowledge can be loosely divided into two categories, facts and wisdom. But knowledge presents us with choices. Hence, 
the biblical story about Adam and Eve being cast from paradise, having eaten the fruit from the tree of knowledge. Because to retain knowledge in a manner which allows one to choose one's own destiny and path in life, one must require the ability to conceptualize. Knowledge is the creator of morality. For without knowledge of right and wrong, or good and evil, or the choice between them, morality simply does not exist. But one thing that knowledge definitely cannot be is racist. I mean, if a non-Indigenous person was discovered to be using Indigenous knowledge, I want to know, what's to prevent or protect such a person from being accused of cultural appropriation? Hey, why are you wearing that? Me? Yeah, you. Take that Nafolo off. I'm sorry, the what? You're not Kelvic. That's traditional Kelvic headwear. It's not a hat. Uh, I... I can't. What? I have the deepest respect for your place of origin, but I can't take this off. You're literally pissing on my heritage by wearing that. I have a really bad rash under here. It's disgusting you throw up, so... I think you're lying. Prove it. You know what? You are absolutely right. We're gonna go and take it off right now. Come on, Omar. We're very sorry. Mayor Matt Brown with us here on News Talk at 12, not CJBK. Uh, Mayor, th- there has been lots of talk about Bill Cosby coming to London this uh, this uh, Thursday, and you weighed in on the, the weekend. In simple terms, what did you say? Well, I mean, what I said over the weekend uh, uh, when asked by the London Free Press, you know, what do I think? I, I said that given the reaction from across our community, but not just our community, from across North America, I, I do think that the promoter should consider canceling the show. Uh, it's happened in other cities across North America. I think it could happen uh, here in southwestern Ontario as well. Uh, it has been suggested by a couple of people that I spoke to in researching a story in an entertainment business uh, that uh, the Cosby situation, essentially he's saying that he would cancel the show provided he still gets uh, gets his money. The promoter suggests uh, that, hey, we're not as big as Live Nation. We're a smaller company, and uh, somebody has to take the financial hit. Uh, some this morning suggested perhaps maybe the city uh, pay pay the losses uh, to this uh, this uh, promoter, and, and obviously when we say that the taxpayer would would be on the hook. W- would that be a tough sell? You know, Steve. I mean, I've reviewed this situation. Obviously, the the ball is clearly in the promoter's court. Uh, we'll have to watch, wait, and see uh, what the organizers do next. Uh, but certainly, you know, to answer your question directly, I just don't believe that using city taxpayer money to pay off a promoter uh, for this show to not occur would be the right thing to do. Mm. And, and some have been even critical to, to you, sir, s- suggesting is that maybe the mayor sh- should do more. How much power do you have, Matt? Well, you know, I think we've seen from advocacy groups uh, and politicians from across uh, all three cities affected here in southwestern Ontario uh, that we've stood up, uh, we've spoken about how concerned we are, and, and we've sent a, a strong message. Uh, Major Mayor, uh, pardon me, uh, Eisenberger in Hamilton, uh, Mayor uh, for Benevich in Kitchener and myself, we've all indicated clearly that uh, we won't be attending the event, and uh, and we, we've uh, we've we've indicated uh, support for the groups that uh, are organizing protests as well. 
that's that's about the extent. Uh, to be entirely honest with you, from a, from from my perspective, uh, uh, that that, uh, that that we can go. Oh, the frenzy and moral outrage! Talk about virtue signaling. You know that January fifth, twenty fifteen, CJBK interview between Steve Garrison and Matt Brown, who's the mayor of London, was strangely nostalgic for me in a lot of ways. But in retrospect, and beyond the irony, there is a lesson to be learned. First, pots shouldn't be calling kettles black, and mayors shouldn't be virtue signaling their fake virtues about things they cannot possibly know anything about. By the way, it was news this past week in London that Mayor Matt Brown will not be seeking re-election, to which Amir Farahi of the London Institute shouted, Hallelujah! (laughs) Talk about funny. Believe it or not, since the period in which that CJBK radio interview ran... This is the 15th broadcast of Just Right in which we've spent a part or all of our show on the Bill Cosby accusations and accusers. And if you need any proof that the Bill Cosby case is all about politics and not about his guilt or innocence regarding some alleged facts of impropriety, then you have only to watch the current round of attacks against him that began this past Monday with the retrial of his case concerning Andrea Constad and about whom we have reported on in detail during one or two of our past shows. And as I noted the last time we discussed this, there's simply too much detail and nuance to adequately understand what the whole Cosby case is really all about. But if you want a quick recap of events up to his last hung jury trial, be sure to check out Just Right number 516, broadcast on August 3rd, 2017. Now, a couple of news reports I heard on the radio this week reported that quote, women's lives matter, was on the t-shirt of a woman who lunged at Cosby at the opening of his trial on Monday morning, and that, of course, the hashtag MeToo movement has declared itself to be entering the lobby against Cosby. Now, hashtag MeToo is not even a thing, yet some are calling it a movement. Anyone can pretend to speak for hashtag MeToo, and just about anybody does. We have our own Megan Walker locally here in London, Ontario, and the U.S. has the likes of Gloria Allred, And there are, of course, counterparts in communities everywhere. It's amazing how these social groups even think they have any say in the determination of one man's guilt or innocence over an alleged single event that occurred so many years ago and the deposition of which contained no evidence whatever that would suggest Cosby was involved in non-consensual relationships. None of them were there, and so anything they have to contribute to this case is irrelevant other than proving that Cosby's tormentors are not motivated by anything to do with justice. And until I see such evidence of non-consent, there is no case or argument against him. And I won't in the constant case, because there's nothing else to tell. I mean, the case against Cosby is clearly a political one. It always has been. If Cosby loses this round, it won't be because of anything new or anything we don't already know. It will all depend upon how everything we already know will eventually be viewed by the court, which includes a jury in this case. And in a courtroom, it's a lot about what the jury is allowed to know. And that's been one of the big debates surrounding this trial, and the one that ended in a hung jury last June. But before I continue on developments about the Cosby trial that began this past Monday, let's briefly review what has happened on this file since our last discussion on August 3rd. The Cosby family, i got to tell you, they have certainly been no stranger to tragedy or hard times, because on top of all this injustice being done to Cosby, 
we learned on February 26th that Bill Cosby's daughter, Ensa, had passed away at age 44. Fox News reported by Leora Arnowitz that, quote, Ensa Cosby, the daughter of disgraced comedian Bill Cosby, who stood by his side as dozens of women accused him of sexual abuse, has died. Fox News has confirmed. The Cosby family thanks many people for their prayers for their beloved and beautiful Ensa, who recently died from renal disease. Bill Cosby's sexual assault trial was declared a mistrial by the judge when jurors failed to break a deadlock after more than 52 hours of deliberation. The Associated Press reported the 44-year-old died in Massachusetts. Ensa Cosby famously supported her father and spoke out against the women accusing him of drugging them, raping them, or attempting to do so. In May 2017, Cosby's daughters, Erin and Ensa, came to his defense. At one point, Ensa decried the allegations against her father, who was once nicknamed America's Dad. The accusations against my father have been one-sided from the beginning, Ensa Cosby said at the time. I've witnessed my father's reputation and legendary works be dismissed without any proof. When he tried to defend himself, he was sued in civil court. I've seen the accusations become more horrific and extreme with time, and I've witnessed my father's reputation and legendary works be dismissed without any proof. I strongly believe my father is innocent of the crimes that are alleged against him, and I believe that racism has played a big role in all aspects of this scandal, she said. How the charges came against him, how people believed them before they were ever scrutinized or tested, how people who questioned the claims were shut down and ignored. She added that her father has been publicly lynched in the media and the accusations have, been, have impacted her family. Well, from what I saw and continue to see regarding the media, I agree with her completely, like she nailed it there. My family, my young daughter, my young niece and nephew have had to stand helplessly by and watch the, tr the double standards of pretending to protect the rights of some but ignoring the rights of others and exposing innocent children to such appalling accusations about someone they love dearly and who has been so loving and kind to them is beyond cruel, she said. Ensa was one of five children born to Bill and Camille Cosby. The couple's only son, Ennis, was killed during an attempted robbery in 1997. And by the way, even that story fits into the whole current Cosby controversy. We talked about that on one of our earlier shows. Now, Ensa appeared in a 1989 episode of her father's show, The Cosby Show, uh, playing a girl at a party. Bill Cosby went to trial over sexual assault charges and a jury ultimately deadlocked in June. The judge declared a mistrial and prosecutors have vowed to retry the comedian, which of course is what's going on now. And, and after the last trial, we also heard a very similar refrain from Cosby's wife following the outcome, and which can be heard on our August 3rd broadcast as well. How do I describe the district attorney, she said, heinously and exploitively ambitious. How do I describe the judge overtly arrogant and collaborating with the district attorney? How do I describe the counsels for the accusers totally unethical? How do I describe many but not all general media blatantly vicious entities that continually disseminated intentional omissions of truth for the primary purpose of greedily selling sensationalism at the expense of a human life? You know, I agree with her. She, she, she nailed it on as well. Now, since every one of the cases against Cosby effectively boils down to a he said, she said scenario, the hashtag MeToo 
social justice movement cowards and the women's lives matter sexists want to change the equation to he said, we say, even though none of them were witness to any of the events in question. So you can see how unjust the whole process is becoming. It's right out of the social media nightmare scenarios we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And then there's this one from the Associated Press on June 14th. And this is important. Outside the courthouse, Constan's lawyers blasted the Cosby team for releasing a statement from a woman who had been blocked from testifying. Cosby spokesman Andrew Wyatt read the statement from longtime Temple University official Marguerite Jackson, who said Constan told her of a plan to falsely accuse a, quote, high-profile person, end quote, of sexual assault so she could sue and get money. Jackson said Constant told her she had been drugged and molested. She said the Temple basketball director immediately recanted, then said she could fake a false accusation, win a lawsuit, and use the money to go to school and open a business, end quote. <laughs> Jeez. Just the tip of an iceberg of injustice we've uncovered surrounding each of the Bill Cosby accusers that we've investigated. Then there's this media release of October 18th published by Alan Greenberg, the lawyer who successfully argued on behalf of Mr. Cosby, we learn, quote, The U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit issued a decision ruling in favor of legendary entertainment Bill Cosby. The 20-page decision affirming the dismissal of a lawsuit that was brought by actress Catherine McKee came only two weeks after the matter was argued to the three-judge panel in Boston. The lawsuit involved a letter that an attorney for Mr. Cosby sent to the New York Daily News in 2014. The letter demanded a retraction of allegations made by Ms. McKee in a December 2014 interview regarding conduct that she claimed took place in 1974. The letter called Ms. McKee's story malicious and lacking in credibility and admonished the, the Daily News for publishing the stories of anyone who approaches your paper with accusations about Mr. Cosby. This is so true. I found this in all the cases that I was looking at. Somebody could just call up the paper and say, hey, you know, I knew Cosby. I, he kissed me at a party once. Oh, let's make a story out of that, you know, and that's how it was going. The letter also criticized the media as a whole for ignoring information about various women whose stories about Mr. Cosby were contradicted by their own conduct or statements, as well as evidence demonstrating that their allegations were quote-unquote impossible. You know, this is exactly what we found when we were looking into the first wave of Cosby's accusers, most of them that had been dredged up by Gloria Allred. Finally, the letter pointed out that some of the accusers have criminal backgrounds, including arrests for lying to police and other crimes involving dishonesty. As we ourselves learned during our previous coverage, some of these crimes were simply outrageous, even resulting in jail time. This is how bad some of these accusers are, and yet they're kept on this list of, of valid accusations against Cosby. Mr. Cosby filed a motion to dismiss the case on the basis that the letter did not constitute defamation. The trial court granted the motion, and Ms. McKee appealed the decision. In affirming the dismissal, the, the dismissal, the appellate court confirmed that the letter was not defamatory because it included facts reflecting the author's conclusion that Ms. McKee was not credible, end quote. Now, do you realize what that last conclusion automatically means, it means that the accuser was a liar, a complete liar. She was suing Cosby for calling her a liar after she lied about him to the media, which then blindly reported the lie. 
And this is the pattern we saw over and over again. And that is one of the reasons I no longer trust anything that the mainstream media says, because to do so is to put myself at risk. So, Cosby retrial set to begin, reads the March 31st, 18 Associated Press headline. Norristown, Pennsylvania, the judge in Cosby's sexual assault retrial hinted Friday that he could keep jurors from hearing the comedian's prior testimony about giving quaaludes to women before sex, a potential blow to the prosecution's plans to portray him as a serial predator. I'll have to say that if this is what the prosecution's case is even remotely based on, it is as weak and false a case as you could pick. Judge Stephen O'Neill said at a pretrial hearing that he won't rule on the testimony until it's brought up at the retrial, which has already begun. The defendant is not on trial for what he said in his deposition, O'Neill said. Cosby admitted in the testimony he gave quaaludes to a 19-year-old before having sex in the 1970s, but his lawyers say it's irrelevant to the trial because there's no evidence he gave his accuser the drug. The 70s isn't relevant in this case, said defense lawyer Becky James, calling quaalude use then widespread. It was not to make them incapacitated. It was never with the purpose or intent of having sex with unconsenting women, end quote. And you know, this is exactly right. This is the first time I've seen this fact placed in a proper context. This is what I found with all the cases that we reviewed, precisely the pattern we uncovered on the show with our look at the first 30 or so complainants. The article continues. Assistant District Attorney Stuart Ryan argued Cosby's deposition testimony is important because it shows he had an awareness of the effects that central nervous system depressants, such as quaaludes, have on women, and it shows his admitted intent for using such drugs. The man sitting right over there said these things, and they were typed down, Ryan said. <laughs> and well, Why not? Cosby had nothing to hide. Lawyer Dennis McAndrew said Cosby's testimony, along with an old comedy routine about Spanish fly, are evidence of his consciousness of the effects of the intoxicants and his willingness to use them. <laughs> well, holy smokes, come on. An old comedy routine, which we played on this show early on in our discussion of this whole story, is now being cited as evidence of a person's real-life thoughts and actions. Can you imagine that? This is about as low as the legal profession can sink. Talk about grasping at straws. And the recognition that intoxicants are intoxicating is evidence of intent? <laughs> Holy cow. All of the relevant complainants that we reviewed on this show took those intoxicants, primarily alcohol, consensually. That's what people have been doing in connection with their sexual activities since time immemorial. Alcohol abuse, by the way, is the single largest factor in domestic violence and abuse. Yet the hashtag MeToo movement really doesn't move on this at all. Quote, It is very relevant testimony to show a pre-existing desire and willingness to use controlled substances of any kind that are available to facilitate non-consensual sex, he said. End quote. Well, non-consensual sex? That's a circular argument as presented here. Either the sex was already non-consensual and was only being facilitated by controlled substances, which happen to include alcohol, or the very use of any in intoxicant at any time in conjunction with sex automatically constitutes non-consent. It's rape. 
And yes, we've been down this path when we looked on this issue before. Quote, While Judge O'Neill dealt Cosby's lawyer a blow by allowing the testimony from additional accusers, Cosby's lawyers are counting on him to make rulings critical to their play to portray the accuser as a greedy liar who framed the comedian, end quote. Well, additional accusers in the Constant case, were they all there? Remember, not one of these accusers has proven any allegations, even of their own. They've merely made an allegation. They aren't witnesses to anything, but are evidence that all is not well in the halls of American justice. Prosecutors said the theory that Constant wanted to set Cosby up is undermined by his testimony in a 2005 deposition that she only visited his home when invited and that he gave her pills without her asking. Well, theory? What theory? There's no theory in question here. But if one news report about an unproven alleged act of impropriety is all it takes to convict someone, then how come another news report that cites facts, dates, and witnesses to the contrary is only a theory? I want to know, understand that. That just doesn't make sense. And, and yes, did he give, the, give her the pills without asking? Perhaps so. But she took them voluntarily. And then, then she complained that they weren't the specific pills that she requested. It, it, this, is, this is really a screwed up whole situation. Well, but one of the issues that we've already examined in this context is the issue of consent as it relates to intoxicants, like quaaludes and, of course, alcohol. And to make a long story short, it seems to me that if driving drunk does not excuse a driver from any harm he might have caused after being drunk, then having sex while drunk should be treated under the same principle, shouldn't it? If you took the drug consensually to begin with, then anything you do afterwards is still something you are personally responsible for. And if someone forced you to take a drug, or fraudulently tricked you into taking it without your knowledge or consent, then obviously your own responsibility for whatever damage you might cause would be heavily mitigated by that fact. It has to be so, if we are, in fact, interested in the pursuit of justice. Justice is not revenge. Justice is about holding individuals responsible for their proven actions. And given the number of years between the recent allegations against Cosby and the time period in which the alleged offenses occurred, often decades and more, it is difficult to believe that any of Cosby's current accusers are really interested in having him brought to quote-unquote justice. Based on our own meager investigation into this matter, what interested them was everything from money to fame to revenge. So let's do hope that justice prevails. Because whenever and whatever the outcome of Cosby's current retrial, we'll have to take another look at that story on a future show. For now, it's a wrap, so be sure to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Say, where do we get the groceries? Oh, I went shopping early this morning. Master? Hmm? Do you think it is proper for a man to strike a woman? No, no, of course not. Why? Did somebody hit you? Yes, Master. Where, uh, at the market? Yes, Master. Would you recognize him if you saw him again? Oh, I shall never forget his face. Come on, let's go. Where? 
Well, down to the market. Maybe we can still catch it. Please do not bother you. You have to go breathe. I do not have to breathe. It would be better if you did not get involved in this, Master. Involved? I'm already involved. Now, nobody's going to hit you or any other woman while I'm around. You take me to him. Now? Well, of course now. Where are we? We're at the marketplace, Master. Oh, and there is Ollie, the man who hit me. That was 2,000 years ago. Yes. Well, why were you crying about it this morning? I just remembered it. <laughs> Come on, let's get out of here.